you are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leaf Spin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Squid and the Ultimate Leafs Fan, brought to you by the Hockey News. With over 2 million dedicated readers, the Hockey News, established in 1947, is the authoritative source of hockey and the number one hockey publication in North America. With an ever-growing podcast network and a video database on top of an already established print and digital brand, the Hockey News is there to cover all major hockey stories from around the world. Visit THN.com deal to get the best value on a subscription to the Hockey News. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leafs fan, and with me as always, my winger, Ricky Squid 5. How are we keeping today, Squid? Oh, fantastic. Good round of golf this morning. Screwed it up on the last two holes. I was three over and then went three over on the last two holes. But that's eh, not bad, 78. Yeah, you'll take that any day of the week with that. But, you know, near the end of the year, so the days are getting a little shorter, so... <laughs> <laughs> the score should be getting a little bit shorter too. Okay, so this is this one. You should be putting up those good numbers. Well, now, they, they punched the greens, so the greens were a little tough to put on. But like I said, I, I had it going pretty good, and then all of a sudden, bogey seventeen, doubles eighteen. But well, that'll do it. Yep. Now um, we have a pretty interesting guest today. Played a long time in NHL, mostly with the Buffalo Sabers. He was there through the infancy stages and through a lot of the growth. And I'm referring to, of course, two-time 50-goal scorer Danny Gare. You never played with Danny, but you played against him. Just, uh, he wasn't really a particularly big guy. But word was he was extremely tough to play against. Oh, there's no question. He was, uh, he was a real competitive little bugger. And, uh, and he loved the chirp, too. <laughs> I got to tell you, he was, he was really quick with the chirps and – and the comebacks, and uh, uh, but boy, yeah, he was very, very difficult to play against, uh, and, and he was a great player as well. So uh, that made it even tougher because he, he was so good, but yet he could, he'd run me over too. I mean, it, he wouldn't even hesitate. And uh, uh, you know, a guy like him would be a perfect player in today's game as well because he he he's fat, he was fast, he was skilled but he didn't take any crap either, and he'd run me over. Well, that's great. I mean, well, before we get to Danny, we do have a couple of things. The free agency is upon us tomorrow as we're recording this. Uh, the draft just took place a couple of days ago. Um, you know, and always a few surprises, but it looked like there was a whole heck of a lot this year. We're going to – we'll get Danny's take on this uh, when we bring him on in a couple of minutes. But um, maybe just once again, I know we've talked about this in the past, but just – Take us through what some of these kids would be experiencing on draft day from your own experience. Well, I, I would imagine they'd probably be experiencing pretty much what I did because of the way it was done this year because of, of the uh, pandemic. Because I, I was at home, mine was a phone draft. And, uh, you know, I was just sitting there waiting for the phone call. And so they, although I know they had cameras and everything with all the first round guys and everything. And, and they got to see the celebrations and everything, which we didn't have, obviously. The technology back then yeah. wasn't like it is today. Uh, but, you know, you're anxious. You're, you're kind of uh, waiting and, and wondering what the heck's going to happen. Where am I going to go? What, how, you know, you know, I felt bad for a couple of them. Uh, the kid from Quebec there, that uh, the goal scorer, Lapierre, that – 
they always went to him on his camera and he was waiting and waiting and finally Washington took him late in the first round. But uh, it's not easy, uh, you know, because they're all, you know, they're, I want to be in the top 10. I want to be in the top 12, you know, and that sort of thing. And then all of a sudden, you know, 15 goes by and you haven't been drafted. So it's frustrating for them to, to sit there and watch that. Well, it's always, uh, I mean, it's always tough. I mean, it's, I, I love watching a draft because the first draft, every player is a dynamic player. It's a great pick. He's this, he's that, he's everything. And, you know, and of course these guys, it's almost like they all have magic wands because every player has the same bio and they haven't even stepped on the ice yet. But I would have to say with Matt Murray now, and this actually kills us as Leafs fans to say this, but with Matt Murray now going to Ottawa, they look to me like they could be the winner coming out of this, but those two blue chip prospects that look like that, uh, they've, they've got the makings of what could be a pretty good hockey club. Well, with what they've already got, and they've got a couple of guys in the minors, Batherson and a couple other forwards. They got Kachuk, they got Shabbat, they got a real good defenseman in the draft. They got uh, Stutzel, who's, who's a heck of a player. And they got another player late in the first round who, who's a big uh, uh, centerman, I think, or, or maybe it was a defenseman. But uh, now they got Matt Murray. So they're solid in goal. They're solid on defense. Um, you know, this is a team that could surprise a lot of people this year. I, I don't think it'll be a big surprise this year. But two years from now, or three, they could be one of the top teams in the league with the way that they've been uh, drafting and, and putting these guys in the minors. And uh, boy, oh boy, they, they, they could be a team to reckon with uh, down the road. Well, you know, if you look at any winning team, that usually starts with the minor level at the AHL, and their bevel team was obviously one of the superior teams before the pandemic shut yeah. everything down. So all the pieces are in place. Let's see what they do with it. Now, with free agency starting tomorrow, it's interesting to see teams like Nashville trying to set themselves up and position themselves to, to make some moves. Uh, even Chicago today, you know, letting Corey Crawford not going to resign him. A number of players being bought out. Kyle Turris uh, bought out. Boy, how about this? Next seven years, he gets two million bucks a year for the next seven years coming out of Nashville. Uh, very nice. Um, of course, there's a, a once again, Hall. and Taylor, Taylor Hall. I guess Arizona apparently are moving on from him. So yeah, probably wants too much money. And, more than and, likely. Yeah. I, and, I would imagine that's probably the reason, but I mean, you got a lot of great players out there that are free agents. That's what, and they, and they, and it doesn't mean they can't still sign them, you know? So there's still lots of this. Well, you it's look good. at a guy, especially a guy like you just mentioned, tourists who, you know, he's a pretty good player. He's, I don't think he's ever really lived up to where he was drafted third overall. I believe it was second or third. Mm -hmm. um, but now the, that he's been bought out and he's going to make 2 million a year for seven years, he can go and sign somewhere for a million dollars and he's still making 3 million a year. So. No, that that's exactly right. And again, it, it's like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, maybe, the grass maybe isn't always greener on the other side. When he left Ottawa, he had the perfect little fit there. And then Nashville yeah. just Never, never worked out. Now, of course, our Maple Leafs, fifteenth uh, pick, and according to the five hundred GMs online and on social media, they've been getting ripped up and down. They've been taken to the woodshed. Oh my goodness! I mean, the, the kid hasn't even jumped on a plane yet, and they're already like that. They're just going through 
hell already in purgatory. But can imagine tomorrow, Squid, with free agency starting, if they don't sign Petrangelo and they bring in Taylor Hall and they got to bring in Tory Krug and they got to like every free agent, Wayne Simmons, every free agent better come to Toronto tomorrow. They're just going to get absolutely destroyed. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, they, they, but you know what? I mean, you know, they, they got a lot of picks this year and, and they got a lot of young players and yeah, uh, their first pick in the first round, 15th overall. I mean, we, we don't know anything about this guy. We've never seen him play. Uh, a lot of the scouts have, but uh, they're not always uh, correct either. So, I mean, this guy could turn into a really, really good forward for the for the Maple Leafs at some point. Uh, I would imagine it'll be two or three years down the road at least, if not more. But, you know, you, you just never know. I mean, and... I remember the Detroit Red Wings, a lot of times in their drafts, they would always go for those European guys that were, that were skilled and like, look who they got, Datsuk and Zetterberg, like in the 200s, they drafted both of those guys. So I think when you get to that point, you just take a shot at a lot of the Europeans that have that skill and and the skating ability. And then you hope that perhaps you know, they get better and better as the years go on. And, and that's exactly what the Maple Leafs did. And, you know, because you never know. You might get a Datsuk or a Zetterberg somewhere down there. And that's what they're always looking for. And as a matter of fact, they said a lot of the statistical data showing weight and size and height. That was all done pre-pandemic uh, pandemic and back in the uh, fall. And the one kid, they listed at 100, he's 180 pounds now. So anyway, it's, 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 uh, you know, obviously very interesting. It's that time of the year when there's going to be lots of newsy things to talk about. Next week, obviously, we'll have lots to talk about. But I think it's about time now we go and listen to what Danny has to say. Squid, today's guest is a longtime NHLer who, after a strong junior career with the Calgary Centennials, was noted for his eight years with the Buffalo Sabres. A two-time 50-goal scorer, a captain, a member of the Sabres Hall of Fame, along with the retirement of his number. Also represented Canada a couple of times in Canada Cups. Please welcome Danny Gare. Danny, how are we doing today? I'm good. I'm good, guys. Uh, please, I really appreciate uh, the offer to come on here and talk to an old buddy of mine and sometimes an old foe, I yeah. must say, with the Leafs. <laughs> Which we'll get into. My, my, my good friends, Rick Squid Live, and Mike, pleasure <laughs> to meet you too. All right, great, Danny. Squid, I think you want to start things off here. So I, I think you got a question for him. Let's get well, it right the box. I think the biggest thing is the nickname and okay so i i know from and you may have a different spin on this but i heard the real story from terry martin and Derek <laughs> smith two-year-old buddies so how did you yeah. get the nickname tickets well, those are a couple old two roommates of mine yeah. Derek and, and and terry as you know played uh, with the leafs with you and um actually it was before that rick um when i first came here to buffalo it's like any place at the time, especially, you know, teams that were in our division, Boston, Toronto, Montreal, hard to get a ticket, you know, <laughs> hard to get a ticket. So we were rookie. I was a rookie and I lived actually with uh, Larry Carrier. We lived in a, an apartment complex and Lee Fogelin, uh, the number one pick that year and Morris Titanic, the ship was with us. And, um, one of the things we did as being young guys, single guys, you know, after you'd win a few games, you'd go out and have a few pops and meet a few 
uh, pretty young girls and uh, they'd always be asking for tickets. So I would give them and say, yeah, I'll get you tickets, no problem. But back then you only got two tickets, right? And the no-no was going to the veterans and asking them for their tickets. Are you nuts? Are you crazy? So what happened was a couple times, I guess there were, you know, four or five young girls at the ticket uh, box office and Punch Imlac had heard about it. And uh, he wasn't too happy about me. And then he gave him tickets because they said, Danny Gare left them for me. And I didn't. I, you know, I forgot about it or whatever. So what happened was Larry Carrier uh, got called up in November into his office. And um, I don't know if you ever played for Punch, but he, he always had to wear a suit and tie to go up to the office. And uh, we always left one there in the trainer's room. So Larry goes up. He thought he was getting traded. <laughs> I was going over to Chef's with Hoagie and, and, and Morris, and I said, geez, I hope you everything okay. We'll be at Chef's after, because we hung out. We were single. And so uh, he goes up, and I guess Punch says to him, you know, he was really nervous. You know, Larry used to sweat from yeah. upstairs, downstairs, everywhere. And, uh, and he goes, hey, you tell that gear. This is Punch telling Larry Carrier. You tell that gear to quit giving away all those damn tickets to those girls. And he said, by the way, they're pretty good looking too, he said, like this. <laughs> so yeah, Larry comes over to Chefs and you know, he was like, he starts pointing, he goes, You, you, you. I go, What? Talk to are you okay? Are you still here? He goes, You, you. I'm gonna call you tickets. He goes, I'm gonna call you tickets. I said, What are you talking about? And then he tells the story. So that uh, was tickets there. And um, the other one I tell is when I went back to Vancouver, when I made the, 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 the team that summer prior, when I was drafted, I told all my buddies, uh, if I ever make the Sabres, they can come down. And I'll get them tickets for the first game in Vancouver. Well, guess what? Eight busloads came, and it cost me $3,482 $3, for tickets. So tickets here, tickets there. Well, that's a, a, that is absolutely, that's a great start to that one. So, uh, and, and speaking of which, so speaking of starts, this kid leads right into what the next thing I want to talk about. The draft is coming gone. Yeah. Maybe the listeners, I, uh, Squid has talked about this himself, but maybe you, maybe let the listeners know the experience that you went through on your draft day, sitting and waiting to get picked, and maybe what these kids were experiencing that day. Well, it, it's, you know, something you work for as a youngster, and Rick will tell you that, you know, your draft day is a special, special day, and, um, you know, it changes, obviously, with, with times, and we've seen it, you know, going from the kids being in the in the uh, arena to where we saw just the other day where, you know, guys were at home and Zooming in or on, you know, uh, whatever computer they're on and seeing the celebration, which is awesome. But I remember um, it was funny because uh, back in 74, it had a pretty good year with the Calgary Centennials that year. I broke the record for most goals by a right winger in the Western Hockey League. And then I broke the record for most penalty minutes. So that was a tough time to play. And it seemed to help me and ended up uh, being drafted just before that by uh, John Ferguson and the Winnipeg Jets uh, with the WHA. And, John was really um, persistent in trying to get me there, which was awesome. I mean, I was, I love John, the late John Ferguson, great man, great player. I watched him for many years. I was a big fan of the way he played and um, a, a, a real special person. 
and then getting drafted by the Sabres, it was funny because I was out mowing the lawn in Nelson, British Columbia. And um, I'm mowing the lawn and, uh, you know, in Nelson, there's a lot of hills. So you had to go up some hills and down there and I'm sweating profusely, profusely. And then my mom comes out to the porch. She goes, daddy, daddy. And I got, you know, I can't hear anything. So she's waving her arms, waving her arms. And she, I turn the mower off and she goes, punch him on the phone. Buffalo, Buffalo. I said, oh, really? So I, you know run in the house and get up, get on the phone. And here's Punch on the phone and saying, you know, hey, Danny, we're proud to, you know, draft you in the second round. Uh, you know, we'll be getting in touch with you. Here's John Anderson, who John ran. John Anderson was their director of player personnel at the time. And I was very excited. So, yeah, it was, it was a hard thing to decide, you know, because the money was pretty good back then because you had two teams bidding on you. We felt it was good money. <laughs> not, not in today's world, but. Anyways, uh, I ended up, you know, Punch flew out, which was unbelievable. He flew out on Father's Day from Toronto, and we met, and I signed a contract. And always wanted to play in the NHL, and that's what the decision was. And I saw Buffalo was an up-and-coming team as they made the playoffs the prior year against Montreal. And I watched it, and I thought it was pretty, a pretty strong up-and-coming team, and I might have an opportunity to play for them. So, yeah, that's what happened. Now, was there a little intimidation on your part meeting Punch for the first time, especially, I mean, as a kid oh. growing up, you know, his, his resume coming from the 60s with the Maple Leafs, and here you are meeting this legendary coach, GM, walking into yeah. your house and sitting talking to you. How did that conversation all go? Or were you just sort of in a trance? You know, I, it was, it was um, an honor, really, to be um, – he actually, what we did, we met in Cary. I flew okay. up from Nelson – and met him at the airport because he wanted to get on a plane and go right back. Um, and Punch was just great. He was, you know, those years, Punch was, uh, he came to Nelson a year later and, and they had a Danny Gare day or something. He flew out with his wife, Dodo, and he loved it there. But I've always, you know, Punch was, we, we got along in the early years. Towards the end, obviously, it got a little trying, but... Um, no, he was great. I mean, I remember signing the contract, and he and he gives me a signing bonus, which was 150 grand back then. It was a lot, a lot of money. Of money. And 1974, and I, he says, "I wish you could buy a beer, but it's Sunday." He says, "The reason I give you this check," <laughs> he said, "You you got to go right back to Nelson because your parents will want to see that check." And I said, "Thanks, Bunch." You know, he was he was great. He was uh, it was awesome. Um, and all his accomplishment accomplishments prior to that. I mean, I used to watch him. Toronto Maple Leafs were one of my favorite teams growing up, watching Hockey Night in Canada, Dickie Duff, you know, Davey Keon, little guys that I liked. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Well, so, and I, he, I had a similar one with Punch as well, obviously, because he traded for me yeah. uh, when he came back to Toronto. And, and I just I remember Billy Nerlego and I, when we finally got back to Toronto because we met them on the road, and Punch, we, he wanted us to go up to his office, and we had to put the tie and everything on, like you said, and – we get up there and we sit down and we're like, you know, we're kind of nervous because it's punch in luck. I mean, you know, this right. guy's won how many Stanley Cups? And and he just says to us, he goes, okay, guys, you're going to get a real good chance to play here. He said, all I'm going to tell you is just keep your damn noses clean. And Billy and I looked at each other and went, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, we didn't. But anyway, things worked out pretty good anyway. 
So now, Danny, your first year, you arrived in Buffalo, 74. The team is still fairly new as an expansion team. They've been making a little bit of progress. But all of a sudden, you arrive, and they have this breakout year, finish first, get to the Stanley Cup final. How is that whole year for you as a rookie coming in? And I mean, and secondly, when you were coming in, what kind of expectations were putting you by management, if any at all, as a player? You know, um, you just don't know. And I think Rick can relate to this. You know, you, you, you work to get to, to that position, obviously, to be drafted. But then you go to your first training camp. And, you know, I remember, you know, looking at Gilbert Perot and Rick Martin and Jim Schoen. I wanted to ask them for their autographs. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's the type of guys that it's it's really awesome i mean it's it's kind of intimidating i guess is what i'm saying but you have to you know buckle up the chin strap as they say and, and go do what you're supposed to do and my kind of my role was i felt that i i could score you know like rick i mean the same thing and you have to do what got you there and um and i fight a few times here and there but uh i was put on a, on a line with loose and ramsey and uh that they, that just clicked i mean they played with Larry Mickey the year before, and I remember going to training camp, and Larry Mickey was there at rookie camp with 100 guys trying to get his job and keep his job. Um, and, you know, we went at it a bit, but, um, you know, it's like anything else when they cut you down and we moved. Actually, we had our camps back in St. Catharines then, and we moved to – they counted 26 players back to Buffalo, and I remember – uh, going to the Statler Hilton there, my roommate was Peter McNabb, and Peter was, you know, he was a one second year player for them, and you know, we're talking a lot with him and uh, tried. And Bill Height I knew from Western Canada a little bit. I played against him, and I didn't know a lot of guys, you know. Um, so you try to take what you can. And Larry Mickey was there too, and he was great. You know, he said, you know, when I finally made the team and, and kind of took his spot, I sat next to him and. Um, he would help me look, shoot high on this guy, you know, watch out for Plager. He'll come across, you know, and try to hip check you, stuff like that. And then it was the first game that really, that really kind of how it went was we went out against the Boston Bruins and we were checking line and line up against uh, Cashman, Esposito and Hodge and Orr and Badney on defense and cheesing the net. And the puck came back to Shoney, went around in there and Shoney took, took a shot from the blue line rammer. Craig Ramsey kind of whipped on it, and I got the rebound and put it in. And at uh, 18 seconds, yeah. it's like the fastest goal as a rookie. That's correct. And it was it was unbelievable. It was like surreal, is my point. And I go on the bench, and I'm sitting here with a puck because Craig gave it to me, and I'm going, "Geez, maybe I belong." You know, you just yeah. don't know. And then we had a great year, and 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 Rick, you can you can understand the getting the confidence. I think is what it was, and knowing that you can you know, you can help the team and, and you can also make a difference. So that was, that was a big, big year for me going to the finals and uh, with the team just ran a little short. Well, I think, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's finding the, out that you belong and you have yeah. that confidence knowing that you can play with these guys. And, and yeah. I mean, well, you started in your last year junior with like, 240 minutes and penalties or whatever the heck you had. I mean, and I, I was looking at that. But he also scored 50 goals twice in the National Hockey League, which is kind of, I think even today is kind of the, the mark for a goal scorer. But you were more than that. You, 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 oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I think I played 
a pretty you similar three. game. <laughs> well, but I think uh, uh, what I'm getting at is, yeah, what I'm getting at though is that you played an all-around game and you were a pest out there. And I remember playing against you and you were quick-witted and, you know, we would chirp and you would have a, a perfect <laughs> comeback, like real quick. And, and you've run guys over as well. So, I mean, I, I loved it. I thought, you you know, I, as a right winger uh, myself, I, I thought you were a great right winger that played the game, gave 100%, but could score goals. And uh, I always admired that. So, Danny, I think some of the things you just, you. You, you just touched on um, that sort of defining moment when you felt you belonged. Yours came 18 seconds right after your first game. So that's a pretty good start right there. But, but take us maybe through some of the, or if you experienced some of the, because think about this, like you're a junior guy, you want to play your whole life to get to National Hockey, but that's your goal. Right. You finally get there. Now, all of a sudden, reality setting in because, okay, I'm here. Now I got to stay here. What do I have to do to stay here? Because these guys are actually quite good. What kind of surprises were you experienced maybe your first time through the league, maybe playing other players with the travel and all those type of things that go with being a National Hockey Leaguer? Well, I, I think it's just experiencing everything, you know, your first year, mm -hmm. like going to the Montreal yeah. Forum was like the tabernacle of all, you know, um, going to the Maple Leaf Gardens where I yeah. watched every night on Hockey Canada, Hockey Night Canada, um, playing against Bobby Orr and the Boston Bruins, um, Gore Howe, you know, like things like that in the, in the old Olympia. I mean, playing in those buildings were I mean, I was fortunate when I look back. I mean, those are, I played in every original six building, but one, and that's the old Madison Square Garden in New York. But to say that and then to be traveling around and, and, and playing against guys you watched, you know, on TV, it was, and, you're, and, and again, just embracing the moment and enjoying it. But nervous and anxious before games, oh my God, it would be 10 nervous pisses before the Boston Bruins because I knew I'd have to fight Secord, Jonathan, Wensink, O'Reilly, <laughs> you name it, Cash. I mean, in Philadelphia, you go in there, there was Selesky, there was Schultz, right. there was like, you name it, DuPont. And the Islanders later were the same, but it was always, always, you know, intense. Back in the late 70s and 80s, it was intense, tough hockey. Yeah. But boy, when you won and you happened to score a couple goals, a squid, it was the best feeling in the world. It was the best feeling in the world that you did, you prepared, and that gave you the, yeah. you know, the ability to, to, to continue to play on. But I'm going to tell you a <laughs> quick story here about my first year, okay? Now, my father, my late father, Ernie, was my mentor. Um, and he, he, um, he played in the old Western National League, the Trail Smoke Eaters and the Kimberly Dynamiters and Spokane Jets. And um, they won an Allen Cup one year, I think, back in the day. But I... I remember dad, you know, when I first made it, he, he helped me get through a lot of this to get to where I was. You know, he said, you have to do this workout three times a week. He was the athletic director of a small university there at Notre Dame and Nelson. And then he coached the, the college team and he coached the senior team later. And he said, you know, you got to shoot 200 pucks a day, 300 pucks a day. And, yeah. and then, you know, you'd have to box, learn how to hit a speed, heavy bag, whatever. But he, he was always, when I made the NHL, he'd send me letters, okay? And we talk on the phone, obviously. Mm -hmm. But he'd send me these notes and letters. He always liked to have longhand, and he would say, Danny, he says, you know, you got to keep doing this. You got to keep working on this. You got to keep, you know. But he said, what I'd really like you to do someday, he said, 
is talk to Gilbert Perrault about helping you with your deking ability. Like I just shot the puck. I, I had, so listen to this, Quinn. So I'm like, dad, shit. I, I just want his autograph. I can't even talk to him. Like, you know, he's like a God. And Gilbert was a quiet guy, as you know, right? Uh, Rick. And I, and I was like, so finally, I think I had the balls one time. I was in January Late January, I'd had 20 goals or something in my rookie year. And I go, I asked Gilbert after practice, I go, Gilbert, would you help me, you know, come here, come here. Can you, would you help me with deking and moves, how you make your moves left to right, now you beat the defenseman? He turns to me in his French accent and he looks at me right like this. Danny, I don't know how I do them. I just do them. And skates off the ice. <laughs> and I well, said, keep on doing them, Gilbert. So that was it. <laughs> he, was well, he, was pretty, he, he was pretty darn good at it. Oh, he was the best that. I ever saw with the puck. I, I mean, mean, yeah. Watching him go end to end many, many times. And, you know, and I always thought, and maybe you could touch on this, because he's a player that I always thought could do more. I always thought he was a he could be a fifty goal scorer and a hundred points. He didn't guy. want to. He didn't want to. He was happy. no, and he didn't. He didn't mean I, that's not disrespectful to Gilbert. It was he. This was his mindset. Rick was Danny. You score fifty. Then they you score forty. They want fifty. You score fifty. They want sixty. Yeah. He, said, he says stay at forty and around 80, 90 points, <laughs> and they don't have to. <laughs> Yeah, he didn't want. The, he could have had fifty goals easily. Oh yeah, he didn't want. Uh, the, he didn't want the pressure of having to do no, that. No, he wasn't that year. way. And, I uh, agree. Yeah. He wasn't that way. Great man, yeah. though. Great. Now, man. Danny. Now, Danny. Speaking of all those veterans, was there a moment? You know, you had it in your mind after you scored that first goal, and it obviously took a lot of pressure off you right away, and a little bit of a gives you some breathing room. Was there a moment you woke up and you thought? I've finally, I really made it. I've been accepted. It was there a, a sort of a gesture from the players, not your initiation, which you can tell us what you had to do, by the way, if they, they got you on that. But was there a gesture from some, some of the players that made you really feel you were a part of it? Just like you're talking about parole now. The first year, I, I think, yeah. you know, you just, you just earned it. You're for, I mean, guys certainly Rammer and Luce were great mentors with me because they sat next to me in the dressing room. Yeah. Um, Jim Schoenfeld was a great mentor. Um, you know, I, I, I can, Roger Crozier, the late Roger Crozier was a great, he'd have us over at his house all the time for dinner. Um, you know, and, 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 and it was just, it was a, we had a good group of guys. Rick Dudley was there, you know, and Duds was great. Brian Spencer. I mean, I knew him from hockey schools back in British Columbia, you know, the connection that, we had a great group of guys, but they were young, and we were just learning as we went along as how good we were. I mean, I remember beating out the Canadians. I think a, a big, big turning point for me was when uh, the first game after we beat Chicago in the first round of my in, in the first year uh, as we marched to the finals, we beat the Canadians. I scored an overtime goal to beat them with Andre Richard falling on my back into the net or the boards and through Ken Dryden, but it was, that was a big turning point for myself mm -hmm. and the team and the organization and the fans. Cause they lost the year before or when they said, thank you Sabres to the Canadians. And we went on to beat them in six games. And then we went against the Flyers and lost in six, but um, you just felt that the, the confidence and, and, and the fact that you, the ability you could stay there and you could perform. And I just, 
I just don't know why we never reached that pinnacle again. I do a little bit because some of the moves that were made, but hey, what do you, you know, our, our game, like my dad said, you don't have to be the control over that. Correct. I mean, yeah. 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 I mean, you're, 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 you were Rick is my father said, Danny, I, you know, I bitch about this by not playing on the power play. You know, I was the coach put me out more. <laughs> he says, you're, you're a professional. You sign a con contract to be the professor you can be no matter what. And yeah. that was a, a great, uh, you know, a great guidance thought by him. And um, it's what I played for. It's how I played. Well, that's I got to ask you, you talked about playing in those iconic original six buildings. Yeah, right. I played, I, I played in all of those as well, except for the old Madison Square Gardens. Right. And so we're going to go to the odd. And I got to play at the odd. And yeah. Talk about how great that place was. Well, with the exception of the dressing room, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I sat there and I was against a brick wall that was the outside wall. And if it was in the middle right. of the winter, you'd freeze if you lean against the wall. But, but how exciting it was in the odd, the way it was built and everything, just like all those other original six buildings compared to, right. you know, the big buildings that they have today. Well, yeah, you know, you know what was what I, you know, I remember the first time I practiced there. I went up and um, after, and I walked all the way up to the oranges. Okay, the oh, top yeah. of the level there yeah, with the, yeah. yeah, I walked up by myself, and and I wanted you to see what it looked like from up above because I've never seen a building that steep and and that many. You know, we only had like eight or nine thousand, I think, in Calgary at the old corral, or if that, but. Um, and I looked, and I almost fell down the steps. It was so steep, and and um, it was such a great atmosphere, uh, Rick. You know, you played there. Um, the fans were fantastic. We had great rivalries with Montreal, Toronto, Boston. We had some, and and it was just you know, it was just the you went out and and you wanted to play well in front of the, the this group of people that uh, that really you know followed you. Uh, they they adored the hockey back then and the players and 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 it was just fun to be around the guys I played with our teammates were we used to come with that shoot 100 miles an hour and it was it was funny because you say that when you came to Buffalo and I remember going up to to, to play the Leafs okay and everybody wanted to be like and it was a smaller ice surface it yeah. was 193 by I think by 83 i think it was uh, about 7 feet short and a couple feet uh, on the width for Toronto good for us goal scorers though <laughs> yeah good for us little do we didn't have to skate <laughs> but my point is that we used to uh, go up to Toronto we drive up either saturday morning for the game on a saturday night and uh, you know the back then it was you know my first couple of sittler and lanny and Tiger Williams and, you know, uh, Salming and Palmateer and all these guys. And, and they had a good team. But the ice was so good. that They called it jet ice, I think, back yeah. then. And it was so big. We used to fly because <laughs> we used to beat them all the time. And it was fun because the, everything was so much bigger. It was so much easier. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned the, the, the oranges because yeah. I did the exact same thing. I, I, I looked up did a, a whole bunch of times and I thought, like, yeah. I wonder what it looks like from up there. And I went up yeah. there as well. And I, I was looking down and I went, holy cow, like, like I don't know how yeah, people you're scared. sit up here. Yeah. 
I, mean, I, can, I, I can tell you two boys that I sat there and those seats are straight up and I can't believe how more guys didn't yeah. fall over because yeah. those, <laughs> oh, those railings were not very high and those steeps, their stairs were straight up. And I can tell you, those Buffalo Trail fans, when I'd be there, they weren't exactly drinking pop all night. Yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> there, there were, it might, there were a few people we didn't see them. <laughs> <laughs> now, Danny, 1977, you're made captain of the Sabres. Got to be one of the biggest honors. And Rick, you can even speak to this too. I mean, as a player could ever receive from a team. That day, how did that all unfold? Did you, obviously, did Marcel give you the news, a pronobo, or was it punch, or how did it all happen? Yeah, it was, it was, it was a little um, unexpected, obviously. Um, the year before, Jim Schoenfeld had some issues with punch um, and over his captaincy. And, um, so we go into camp, and we're at the end of training camp, and like Rick was saying, it was such a small little area, like the dressing room and, and the coach's room was even like, it was like a cubicle. I mean, <laughs> Marcel on the other side smoking cigarettes, like putting them smoke everywhere. And there was myself, he asked Gilbert to come in and Shoney. And so we're sitting there and, um, and, and I don't know what was going on. And um, he turns to all three of us and he says, um, I want you all to be co-captains this year. He's meeting me, Gilbert, and, and Jim. So there was a little silence, and then um, Shoney says, no. Shoney said, no, I don't think so. He said, um, no. He goes like this, and he hesitates a bit, and he turns to me, and he points. He says, Danny should be the captain. And then Gilbert just said, yes, Danny should be captain, like that. And that was, it was simple. It was just, I was like shocked. I was like, holy shit. And <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm honored. Don't get me wrong. I was like, I just, yeah. I set back. I was set back. And um, it was like Punch or Marcel goes, okay, I'll tell Punch. And um, I said, well, can I just say one thing before anybody? I said, I, I really, I really, you know, I'm kind of shocked, but I'm honored because, you know, these two guys here, you know, were my, you know, they're, they're, they're the leaders of the team. You know, they were Gilbert and Jimmy were, were the Shoney were the leaders. And I was like a third-year player, but they saw enough in me. So I said to them, I said, before we walk into that dressing room and, and I get announced, I said, I want Shoney. I need every bit of your help. I need every bit of Gilbert's help of any veteran in that room. But I want you guys to introduce me to the team. And they did. They walked, they walked in first, and uh, Marcel walked in, and they said, Jim and – Gilbert have something to say, and they said, Danny, guys, is our new captain, and uh, we look forward to working or lead, him leading, and we're all going to work together as a group here and so forth and so on. So, yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, that's, uh, that's amazing, and it is a great feeling. I mean, it is. To, yeah, it is. to think that they want you to be the leader of, a, of an NHL team, I mean, first of all, your goal is just to get there. Right. And then, you know, you have success. And and then all of a sudden they say, we want you to be our leader. And I, I mean, that, that is a great honor. And uh, especially when you're amongst players that like, you know, I was in a room with Boris Salming and, right. you know. Uh, how did they tell you, Squid? How did, how did you find out when well, you were named captain? I actually found out from Harold. He just told me, he said, you're a captain. <laughs> he, nobody asked me or anything. It was just. 
Yeah, but that's the way it was in Toronto. That's the way it was back. Yeah, I mean, it was. Yeah, it, yeah I agree totally. I agree. Yeah, you know, it was. But, uh, but I wanted to ask you also um, about your brother. I mean, because you're, you're kind of a hockey family, obviously, and your brother uh, is a scout. Is he still yep. scouting? He is. Yeah, my brother. Actually, my older brother Ernie. Um, he played. Uh, he came to the Leaf camp. He also played. Uh, WHA a few games, but ended up going back to get his teaching degree and played with Spokane Jets and won a couple Island Cups too. He was, we're Western people. So they, you know, he married a girl there from there. And then Maury, my younger brother, and we were a skating family, uh, Squid. Yeah. My sisters were all figure skaters. My one sister, Glenn, is married to Tom Rainey, the head of Hockey Canada. Oh, no way. Um, yeah, Glenn is. And, and you know, we, we stay together and think a lot about obviously the game and what it, where it's headed and what we did in the past or whatever. But yeah, Maury's still scouting. He's uh, he scholars for about 16 years. He went to Northern Michigan on a scholarship. He, he coached there and won a, a championship NCAA championship with Rick Com. And now he's with uh, the Carolina hurricanes as a, as a scout. So he enjoys it. So it's good to have him around Buffalo and hear all his, he worked a lot with Rick Dudley, and I, I'm a big fan. So, um, well, so am I. But boy, I'll tell you what. I had him as a coach. I got to yeah, tell you, he, he's a he was one of the, the the more prepared coaches. But yeah. Boy, oh boy, could, did he have a temper. Oh. <laughs> hey, I'll tell you, Rick Dudley. One of the best fights I ever saw was him and and, and Kelly, Bob Kelly, in, in the playoffs when we went my first year. They were like. Just jackhammers going back and forth, and Duds was tough. He was he was oh, yeah. real tough. Yeah, he was tough. <laughs> so now we're talking about uh, uh, Buffalo. You know, you know it was going to come to this at some point, Danny. But here we've got it with the close proximity to Toronto. There is obviously a rival that was built up. It started yep. right when Punch went there, and yep. of course, almost like Buffalo and Miami in football. Buffalo can get 0 and 14, but if they win the two games against the Dolphins, they're happy, the fans. So it's almost the same thing. I mean, did you guys, the players, get all of that? And did you get, like, did you, could you believe that it got to the intensity that it did over your years? I, I mean, I embraced that too. I mean, um, I can remember, like I said earlier, when we went up and, uh, we always, most of the team were Canadians, right? Yeah. I'd say 90% of our teams back then were Canadians, but um, to play in Toronto or even Montreal for that matter, but Toronto was a rival. It was only an hour and a half drive up to QEW and, uh, you know, everybody, about, you know. Probably Toronto. about four hours now with the traffic. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and now I can't even get over there. But yeah. that's, a, that's another story, but um no i think i think you know it, it just it's because of proximity and we had a lot and when when i played i'll bet you 30 35 percent of our fans were for canadians from st Catharines, mm -hmm. hamilton yeah. niagara falls you know they were a big part because they could get tickets in buffalo they couldn't get them in toronto and that was a real part of the rivalry and then it grew and grew and grew um and now you see, you know, when Toronto plays and the Sabres haven't had, obviously, some great years, but the rink's half full of Toronto. They would never stay overnight, right? Because they didn't want to spend the money, Rick, you know? They, we were <laughs> yeah. up and back. But I, I, remember, I remember one time, and, and 
we said to Floyd Smith, I said, if we win tonight, you know, uh, against the Leafs, we're going to stay over. And um, we're going to – and, you know, he said, oh, no, we, we talked the punch. We're going to stay over. Because we, we, we normally played Sunday back mm-hmm. at home or away Saturday and back in the uh, auditorium on Sunday. Well, we had, we had Sunday, Monday, Tuesday off, so – we ended up winning. I'll never forget that night because it was it was a mess. But well, <laughs> it was it was fun. I gotta tell you a good story about uh, well, going to Buffalo as a as a Maple Leaf, and I remember in the odd yeah when during the game if the Sabers were up like say you know four one or four nothing or whatever they go they'd be chanting one two three four yeah. we want five right. Well, on this particular night getting trounced and I think it was I think it was 12-1 at the time or something and the fans started going 5-10 we want 15 going, yeah yeah it was 12-3 it's 12-3 or 12-4 we beat you because I remember Daryl Sittler telling me later in a golf term if I hear that one yeah. more time I'm gonna kill myself now any games any, any game yeah. stand out for you from your time at the Leafs with just the rivalry like some sort of Ravi type stories like playing against Toronto that stick out in your mind. Well, I'll, I'll tell you a good one. Um, the night I scored my first 50th, we played the Leafs and um, my second year. And I, I remember Richard Martin had 49 goals and, you know, Rico was, you know, I'm, a, I'm on a checking line with Luce and Ramsey and I had 47, but it was like, you know, everything played the Leafs the last game. Um, I think Gordy McRae was in the net. Not, I think it was Palmateer and that was hurt or something. But anyways, so right before the game in, in the dressing room, my old crafty veteran, as I call him, um, uh, Freddie Stanfield comes up to me. And before we're going, about a half hour before we're on the ice, he goes, hey, come here. We're in the bathroom. And he goes, you know, you're at 47. He said, you know, you, you can – he may not get there again. He says, you might think about trying to get 50 tonight, you know, because really the, the the season we'd already set places and the standings and all that. But I, I didn't even like, you know, it never even came to my mind because it was just Rico, everybody, you know, and, I, and Rico deserved it. Don't get me wrong. Um, he was a great, great goal scorer. Um, so we line up and because uh, we always check the top line, Lucian Ramsey. So I line up, uh, we line up Sittler. Lanny McDonald, and guess who's on my side? Tiger Williams. So Tiger, who I played against many years in the, in the Western Canada League, and we fought back then. He was in Speedy, Speedy Creek, and I was in Calgary. And he goes, Gare, you ain't even going to get a sniff tonight. You're getting nothing. You're getting zippo. He's going like this to me. <laughs> and you know Tiger, right? So I'm going, why don't you just go – yourself you know and i <laughs> i got mad i got pissed off and and it was just the first period neither one of us scored a goal but in the second i scored one to make it 48 going in the third period uh power play came and floyd smith had put me on the power play because i had 48 because i only had six that year six power play goals yeah. and i get one and then we're tied it's about 15 minutes to go in the third period. And, and then we get another power play and Rico uh, took a shot from the point. I, I got the rebound and put it over. I think it was McCray was in the net and I got 50 and poor Rico. 
he didn't he played the rest of the game and never got never oh, got no. it, which is very unfortunate. But I didn't I didn't play squid. I didn't play the rest of the game. But when I got the puck, I go by the bench. I said, "Hey, Tiger." <laughs> asshole and he starts screaming at me he tried to jump on the bench and we- <laughs> oh, it was funny it was funny see i you- told you he was like that mike as a player he- oh i know like he's September. <laughs> well like just on that line you're right squid now you guys had so- i don't know if this is you danny but that the leafs weren't alone you guys had rivalries against montreal boston quebec yeah. philadelphia yeah. some of those playoff yeah. series let me tell you one quick story here about you that I got from somebody. Barry Dean, when he was playing in Philadelphia, I went to go watch the playoffs one year. And him and his, bro- his brother and I played together. So we went to 1978, go watch the playoffs. And you, they were playing you guys. So I happened to make an offhanded comment to Barry that I won't wish you guys bad Barry tonight, who? but Barry Dean. He oh, was Barry Dizzy. Compl- Dizzy. He was Dizzy. taken behind Mel Bridgman yeah. in the draft. And yes, you played against him. And he said, go ahead. I said to him, um, you know, I won't wish you guys bad tonight, but I love the way Joe Perot plays. So I'm going to be focusing on him tonight, Barry. So just (laughs) let you know. So he says, well, you better get a quick look because he's not going to finish the game. And I said, oh, what are you guys going to do? You're going to like, like goon him tonight. And he said, no, because what's going to happen is he's going to get hurt. He's not going to play. He won't be there. As a matter of fact, a lot of these guys, it's very common. They, they all do the same thing coming here. The only guy who's going to show up tonight is Danny Gare. And our guys respect the hell out of him. And he's the only guy in that team. Now, he did have, have a couple other guys on there, Foglin and Schoenfeld at the fight. But as it turned out, you ended up with six points in that five-game series. That night, by the way, you got in a fight. And you ended up with six points, 16 penalty minutes, and a plus three. And Jill had one goal and one assist and was minus three. Now, this isn't to knock him, but this is just to say that's how it was in those days. And I don't think fans today can really appreciate what it was like playing in that time, especially going into the building. Oh. Yeah, it was the worst. It was the worst. And they, and they knew how to use it, too. The fans were brutal. But they, they were a tough team, but they had talent, too, like – I remember seeing Bernie Perrant after that series, or a couple when I retired, when he won two Conn Smice in a row. Okay, like when they won the two cups, Rick. Yeah. And Bernie goes, Danny, I never played better in all my life. <laughs> and I, and he, that's just what he did. He, he was unbelievable. We couldn't score on him. And you're right. There was a Philly flu. It wasn't just the Sabers. There was a lot of teams. It was an intimidating building. Very intimidating. And they. You know, they backed it up, and um, it's just the way the game was well, back then. I a good then. story for you about But Philly. thank you. That... So we're having a horrible year. We're, we're, we're not making the playoffs. Our last game of the year was in Philadelphia. So yeah, Harold decides that we're going to charter to Philly. We're going to play. The plane's going to go on to Atlantic City. We're going to bus there after the game, and we're going to stay there at 4 the morning down, and then we're going to charter home. I'm thinking, why the hell are we Because we're not even making the damn playoffs. And all of yeah. a sudden, in the last week or two of the season, I think about eight guys went down. Injuries and this and that. <laughs> well, we had more guys in the press box that night than we had on the bench. And I think we lost 7-1. I think we only had 14 shots on goal. And the only goal, I scored the goal, and it was from 
about 10 feet inside the blue line, a slapper. And that was yeah. probably the best opportunity we had all night. So you're right. It was a very intimidating place to go into when you're playing against a team like Philadelphia and the old off. Yeah, well, I know keeping along that line, I mean, where I want to go with this, I mean, I, I want a, a couple of things I'd like to, to, to get in there with you guys. And Scott, you can jump in on this too. But Danny, I mean, I, 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 again, for both you guys, there's sort of, it's played out for many, many times. They talk about the code in sports. And, yeah. you know, during your period, a player of your stature who was a goal scorer and wasn't afraid to fight, earned your ice, every inch of ice you earned. You know, you should be get, there was a level of respect that was given to players such as yourself. Like if you had to deal with somebody, uh, obviously, you didn't have to accept a challenge from some new guy who was trying to make a name for himself. You, were, you, you, were, you shouldn't be subject to a shot behind the back or shot after the whistle or something like that. Would you say that that would be almost a fair assessment, the way the players handled it in those days? I think that's fairly fair. Um, but as, as, the, um, as you made it to, towards, you know, the playoffs and as the games got more important, they didn't give a shit. Yeah. You know, yeah. They would have taken you down any way they could. I mean, if you were, if you were an asset, they wanted you out of the game. Um, it just – but, I mean – it was, I think, as you earn more of a, you know, you might got a, you might get a rookie come in and try to test the waters, but you knew who you were up against. I knew, like I said, I knew the guys in Boston that I yeah. had to deal with. You know, I knew the guys against the Islanders I had to deal with, whether it was Nystrom or um, Howitt or, you know, I can go on, uh, Gary Hart. I mean, they was, these are the guys that would come after you. Um, but since saying that, you know, as you – as as you went on in, in your career, and when I got traded to Detroit, I thought I had 260 penalty minutes one year just so that the Red Wings, back then they were the Dead Wings, yep. um, were to try to get some respect. And I was 30 years old, and I said, I don't want to be doing this, you know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was – I think I think the code is – it was there, but when it got to a time of uh, importance and they, it was, you know, it was more of the will to win and any way you had to do it, you know, teams would do that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I, I would definitely agree with you on that. And, uh, uh, I mean, I, well, and I think the big thing too, I think, uh, you, yourself and myself, uh, as players, and I learned that from John Brophy as well yeah. in my career that, you know what, you know what? We got guys that can take care of that stuff for you, but if you yeah. don't show up, they're going to run you out of the building and run you out of the league at some point. So you got to stick up for yourself. So that's exactly what I did. I, I didn't win a lot of fights, but I showed up. Rick, I'm going to tell you one that I remember in Detroit. I was in Detroit, battling for a playoff spot, and that's when Brad Park came and took over the coaching. I don't know if you remember the big brawl we had with Probert and McGill. Remember? Yeah. I'm in front of that and I'm with you and we went at it and then it just kind of slid away and Lane Lambert and someone else uh, got another fight and then it got crazy and then the bench cleared. Probert and McGill were going at it near your bench or near the glass in Maple Leaf Gardens. And they were going hard. And Bobby McGill was a tough – he was a tough player. He, I mean, he stood up and, and did what he had to do. And Proby was still a young kid trying to earn his stripes. 
So it was just, it was, I was watching it. We and you were watching. We were both holding on to each other. And I'll never forget this because our fight was over. They'd broken some. (laughs) Boy, they were going back and forth, back and forth. And then you know what Probert did? He just had enough. He went like this. He head-butted McGill and McGill's legs fell out and down they went. I don't know if you remember that, but I'll never forget. It was, he hit him as hard as he could with his head, Mike, and down. I've never seen a headbutt like that before. Was that the game that he challenged, that Probert challenged the Leaf bench and McGill jumped off and went after him? That was was your problem. That was the problem with you you guys. I I was at that game. I remember that. Yeah, that was and it pretty went cool. on and on for a while. Yeah, it was. I'll... Well, where I'm going <laughs> with this is, guys. That's the only fight me and Squid had. <laughs> well, that, this is where I'm going with this on this. This is what I wanted to get your guys' opinion on. We, uh, Squid and I have talked about this in the past, but today's game is not placed by the players. In your day, the players place the game. You guys know, as players, you know the guys who are out of the line. You know the guy who stepped across the line and who right. deserves a beating, and it was done, and it was handled by the players. Today... It's stage fighting, it's hits from behind, it's headshots, it's all those things. Would you guys like to see at some point that that old way was kind of brought, in, brought back into the game that would sort of level things off? And I think it would take away all this crap that's out there. I would, it but I don't think it's, it's part of the it NHL mandate now, you know. Um, but it's more uh, speed, skill size you know faster bigger stronger game which is which is is not it's not a bad thing don't get me wrong but i i think with the influx of um uh a lot of different players european players you know i uh that that don't know the background okay about the game and so they don't yeah. they don't care you know they're they're just in it for themselves some and their team i should say but um just different Different game and a different time. It's about accountability. Yeah, I'd have to agree with him. I mean, you know, it would be nice if the, the players could police it a little bit, but uh, the game has changed. Everything has away. changed. And, uh, yeah. I mean, look at the amount of Europeans in the league now compared to in the 70s or 80s. Which is not a bad thing. No, the, the it's game, not a bad thing. The, it's good. The game is still yeah. good. I mean, it's still a great game to watch. Yeah, I agree. It's no just question. played differently. I mean, and, and, and I don't think that players, I mean, there doesn't seem to be, and how can I put this? Um, I want to say that because a lot of them maybe were a little more entitled than us growing up, okay, and, they're, and they're, it's not their fault. It's just the way it is, okay? Mm-hmm. You're, you're under 18 programs. You're under 17 programs. You're all-stars. We never had any of that stuff when we played, Rick. I mean, we're, no. I didn't play until the 76 Canada Cup. I never played. I played the Russians once in junior. Um, but, you know, it's, I'm just saying it's, it's grown to that point where all these kids, um, I think they, they know that the game is different and they're, and they're buddies, okay, a little more. But the Europeans, and, and there are guys that will take, you know, take shots at you. But I think a lot of it is because – they, they, there's no, there's not as maybe as much um, understanding of where they're at and the position of the, of the ice, and it's so much faster and stronger and bigger. I don't know. I, I just think it's, it's the game is very quick to in, and they're very skilled. So. You, uh, you just touched on uh, playing for Canada in '76. You played, you only played a little bit in the '76 Cup. Yeah. In '81, yeah. you played regular. '81 was disappointment for us Canadians. Yeah. 
guys lose that game. Of course, I mean, obviously you felt bad about losing the game, but what was your takeaway from that, from playing against the Europeans and your whole thought process thinking, would you ever imagine at that time, maybe not that night, but through that period that those guys, all of them would make the impact they've made on the NHL today after playing against them at the level of skill? Those were some of the greatest uh, memories of my career were playing in, in two Canada Cups. And 76, I didn't play a lot because I was the youngest player, but I think there were 17 or 18 Hall of Famers on that team. <laughs> it was a pretty good club. Nuts. It was nuts. And then I played with Dion and uh, Marcel Dion and Hall. For, and then uh, my back started to ball. And then Phil Esposito came in, which he deserved to be on that team because of what he did in 72. So in, in saying that, I mean, the, 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 the teams that were good in that were teams that we weren't expecting, like the Czechoslovakia, the Czechs at the time. They, they ended up, we ended up beating them, like I said, with Daryl scoring in overtime. It went to overtime. And uh, Daryl Sittler made a nice move on the goalie and scored. But in 81, we'd won every game. We'd won every game up until uh, the last game. And we always wanted a two out of three series for the finals because you're there for six weeks and you, get, you don't get the opportunity to on one, one lousy game. And I think there were a lot of things behind the scenes that people don't know about. I know there was that – we didn't give two hoots who won because uh, just because of the, the, the management and the way they handled uh, everybody getting into the final game and the Russians, Russians, I mean, we beat them twice in the series already, but it's not an excuse, but um, disappointing, but the Russians were always good. But what you mm -hmm. saw were the Swedes. I remember playing the Swedes in, and, and Bory was unbelievable. In Maple Leaf Gardens, we tied them, I think, 3-3 in that series. Or maybe that was in seven. I can't remember. It was one of the series. But, um, yeah, no, they, they they have great skill. And I think you, what you saw throughout all of the Canada Cups, and even, you know, now you, you saw some of the, you know, the, throughout the All-Star, uh, some of their All-Star performances that uh, they had against the National Hockey. They're, they're legit players, and that's why you're getting so many drafted. Well, the dreaded words that every player – hates to hear, gets called into the manager that fateful day that you did and you've been traded. Or, you know, it's, you know, walk, take us through that whole period and ending up in Detroit. You go from a contender to a bottom dweller. Yeah. I mean, meeting Jimmy, take us, talk about the Buffalo side and then moving to Detroit and how Jimmy D kind of brought you into the fold to get you to accept what they were trying to do. Yeah, no. Um, I mean, I, I was, I, I knew something was coming up. Um, I had a feeling, um, unfortunately, um, my father had, was dying of uh, Lou Gehrig's disease. Um, when that happened, uh, I was going through a tough time. My wife, we were married. We are going to have a child coming in that spring. Um, just things that aren't outside the game, but um, Scotty decided to go in a different direction and they wanted to do what they did. And I go to Detroit and Detroit wanted me bad. And I mean, I, I remember in Shoney, we, I mean, it was a pretty big trade, man, with Felino and McCord. It was a seven player trade. So what you find out is that when you're playing on a good team, and I knew all the referees because I was a captain, you know, and I'm not going to name who, but 
I mean, they'd give you leeway. They'd give you, you know, this and that. And then <clears throat> when I go to Detroit and I try the same thing, they'd kick me out of the game. <laughs> <laughs> I go, why? I thought do it. <laughs> oh, it was, it was, it was, it was hard when you when you're you nearly notice that is what I thought. Um, I mean, you notice that bad teams got shitty calls and good teams got good calls, or you know, whatever. Um, <clears throat> and you had to earn it. So I was very fortunate. When the Illich family bought the team, um, I met with Mike and Marion and Mr. Deblano. Jimmy was uh, re resurrecting that organization, and um, they wanted me to be captain. It was a great honor to be a captain, as Rick knows, of an original six teams. And um, we went on um, to win a, a couple playoff rounds and got the thing back on, on, on track a little, and I had a guy – on my left, who was uh, number 19, Steve Eiserman. He's a pretty good player. My, yeah. Not bad, yeah. And on my right was number 17, Gerard Gallant. So um, that was a big part of their turnaround process. Stevie went on to take over the captaincy, and we all know what he has accomplished in his great career. And even Gerard. And we had some other good guys on that team, too, but – I was there, what, four or five years, and um, I was glad to be a part of uh, maybe helping them out to get to where they are at or where they were going. But, um, yeah, it was it was tough to, to be told you're no longer wanted, okay, um, by a team that I thought I, I bled blue and gold. Um, I was yeah. – it's just difficult. You know, it was a difficult time in my life. But, hey, so they brought that, me back. <laughs> so after that, you you ended up getting into coaching. Yeah, what I was, did. What, what was the toughest part about going from a player to a coach? Because I did the same thing. Yep. I just want to hear what you have to say because I know what I had to go through. Well, it was funny, and I and it started out. It was um, um, actually with the Lightning in Tampa. That's where I'm yeah. sitting here in Tampa right now. Um, and I, I just watched them win the cup. I thought that was awesome. But to be, you know, an original Lightning um, is kind of neat. Uh, I worked there for five years. First year, I, I did broadcast with John Kelly and Terry Crisp and Wayne Cashman were the coaches. And they wanted to add another coach. Like Terry Crisp wanted to, he was a head coach and Cash and you know, they, they said, well, let's talk to Danny. And I said, well, I'd love to coach because that's I, I didn't have an opportunity. I, you know, I, I, I get a chance to be an assistant with them. And I did that for four years and loved every minute of it. But I think the big part of it is, Rick, is that, you know, um, you've got to be uh, – you can't be you, – you can't have that um, – you, you can't do anything about on the ice. You, you've got to – you know, when we wanted to make a difference, we could do something on the ice if you wanted to get in the – or, you know, try to change the game around. So you had to do it through your mind, and you had to come across with the, the right things to say and how to deal with – and communicate is what I'm saying. And it was good. I enjoyed it. But, um, unfortunately, they went on strike, and I ended up going back to Buffalo, uh, and uh, I went back with my – you know, I had my kids and whatever to raise, and – so, yeah, it, it, I enjoyed it. But I know you were in it a little longer than I was. Um, and then I stayed in broadcasting after that. So it was it was a great experience. So I, I wish I could have maybe – if differences were a little, you know, if the 
timing was different. I think I would love to stay on as a coach, but it just didn't seem to fit. Well, I touched, I mean, that's, uh, you know, and then you went into broadcast. I know we've just got a couple of minutes left, so I just want to just touch on this very quickly. But, you know, working with uh, Rick Jenneret, one of the right. legendary callers right. of all time. I mean, there's nobody, nobody better. I mean, this guy's just off the yeah. chart. Again. Classic. Uh, did you, uh, I mean, your takeaway work with him, just talk about that experience working in the booth. Okay, so I come back to Buffalo, and, and, and they gave me an opportunity to work on the radio with Rick Jenneret, okay? And Archie, I've known him for years, you know, he's been around forever, did some TV later, but um, the, very, the game that I remember, I'm in Madison Square Gardens in New York, and they were redoing the press box, okay, at MSG. And they had us up in the gallery gods, they call them, the blues, okay, in the old M in the MSG. And uh, in the garden. So I'm, I'm sitting there and they got these boards in front of us, right in the seats where the people are sitting there. And there, guys, he's up there smoking. People are smoking. They're drinking beer and all this stuff. So I, <laughs> I'm sitting there and I got a little tiny monitor on, like, there's like three, three seats we've taken up, you know, with a, with a with cardboard thing there or a plywood piece to put our notes in that. So they go down, Sabres go down the ice and, um, Howard Chuck and Andrew Chuck make a good play to McGilney and they score. Now I don't even see the damn thing. Everybody stands up. Okay. Cause I'm looking, doing something and it happened quickly. So <laughs> I'm looking at the monitor doing the replay on radio and I go, Oh, watch how Andrew Chuck, look, 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 look how Howard Chuck gets the net and watch McGilney. Oh, watch how he shoots it. And I'm reading it off the monitor. Okay. And we're on radio and he goes, they can't see. <laughs> <laughs> Your introduction to radio. <laughs> oh, yeah, because we're on radio. He goes, they can't see. Oh, it's classic. It was well, classic. You... And then the other one I tell is um, the LaFontaine when, when I was up in the box yeah. with uh, Barry Butel, and it was a small yeah. box in the press box. Yeah. And we just traded for LaFontaine. He gets up and LaFontaine scores his goal. His first goal is a saver. What he does, he just, he had no notes or anything in front of him. I got a hundred of them. He puts his hands like this, just put against us, like holds us back. I've never seen him do this. Like holds us, like shut up. And he goes, la, 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 LaFontaine. I almost fell out of the box. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. He's a, he's a, we're going to miss him. We're going to miss him when he decides to hang it up. But I wanted oh, to boy, just, he before is, I go, he, Absolutely. I enjoyed every minute of it. Before I go, and Rick, thanks so much, and, and Mike, for the opportunity to talk a little old stories. And um, Rick, you were a hell of a player. I enjoyed playing. Not that much against you, <laughs> but you knew, you knew how to score with that big, heavy Titan, and I don't know how you did that. 50 goals three times. But uh, thank you for coming on, and I wanted to this – Logo I have, I'm involved in a company called Can Ice. It's mm -hmm. a synthetic ice company, and Rick knows synthetic ice has been around, yep. but it's, um, it's really been with technology and manufacturing. It's changed the way you can skate, and um, it's manufactured here in Tampa. That's why I'm down here a lot. We have a lot of NHL players use it for training. Uh, a lot of people in the Toronto area bought during the pandemic, and we appreciate that, and um, if they want to go on sometime to take a look at this great premier synthetic ice product, they can go to can.ice.com and check well, Danny, it out. Tell very quickly, how does it work? And they use it in their backyard during the 
You can any, put it any yeah, any time of the year. Very, very portable. Yeah, it's it's it can be used any time of the year. It's a big part of what I look for is what I've been working for in these ten years is the glide. It's got to be similar to ice and the glide and the way the technology and the polymers are put together in this through our manufacturer, second to none. They're one of the top plastic companies in North America. So we're fortunate in finding them. Yep. But I mean, you, I wish I had it when I was a kid. I mean, I used to shoot pucks off of plywood, but the mechanics of skating, having the same inside edge, outside edge, you can put in your basement, your backyard, anything that's flat. Um, like I said, it's, uh, it's, it's a great, great product for kids to develop 365 days of the year. Well, when my, when my grandson gets to about two or two and there. a half, I'm going to get, I got a one year old too. So yeah, he's about another year. I'm yeah. going <laughs> to call you and I'm going to be buying some from you because I'm going to get him on the ice. You do that. I'll take good care of you, Ricky. All hey, right, never <laughs> Hey, never mind that, boys. Hey, never mind that. Some of my old timers I play with, they still think the uh, dream is alive. So I gotta, uh, maybe I'll get some of them to order it using the off season. Hey, we, we, we have a lot of gentlemanly hockey players that buy it and, and still think that dream is alive. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Well, Danny, I, 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 Rick, you got a final comment before we let Danny go? He's actually got to run. Yeah. Uh, the dream is over. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. It is, Jim. Well, they don't think so. And the more beer, and the more beer they drink, the more alive it becomes. Let well, me I can tell you where the dream is over. Other than yeah, the me alumni too. Games, the alumni yeah. games are a lot of fun. We played a lot of them together, Rick. Those were great times, and I, yeah. I don't skate as much, but um, yeah, we had a lot of fun with those, and they were great for the camaraderie, get to know each other. I loved every one of those. Yeah. But uh, yeah, they're a lot of fun because I get to see some of the boys I played with and yeah. some of the guys I didn't play with that played after yeah. me that are younger. And it, it's a lot of fun. Uh, we, we, I really enjoy it. I probably play about probably 50 of them a year. Not this year. Well, no, not this year. I mean, <laughs> not at the end of last season, but going forward, uh, hopefully we get back at it. And uh, there you go. I'm, I'm six. Thank one now, and I'm still going out, and I'm Good. probably getting about 14 or 15 shots a game. And they all tease me too. Are your arms sore? No, no. Well, well, hey, Squid, I, I'm not shooting. I'm not shooting the puck, but I'm going to go hit the golf ball right now. So, well, okay. I already did this morning. Hey, and on that. Oh, you played this morning. Good. Hey, and on that note, Danny, again, we want to thank you for joining us today. You were terrific. Great stories. Uh, best of luck with your uh, adventure in the uh, can, can ice. And uh, can listen, ice. thanks for coming on and great, uh, great having you. Thank you for having me. Take care. Thanks, tickets. Guys. Thanks, thanks tickets. tickets. See you, bud. See you, Squid. <laughs> okay. You got it. See you, Danny. Well, there you go, Squid. There is, uh, there's uh, Danny Garrett, just one of the pure gentlemen in the game of hockey. Just a happy-go-lucky, lively guy, uh, I'm telling you. He's one of those guys you would probably hate to play against, but you would love to have him on your team. Well, I think you said it perfectly. He's a guy you hated to play against because <laughs> he was in your face all night. He could score goals. He could do everything. And uh, I've gotten to know Danny over the years. having played in Buffalo. He was around. And, and, and even after that, uh, alumni stuff in, in Buffalo and – I'll tell you what, he's a fantastic person. He was a great player, uh, very difficult to play against. And 
I mean, I can't say much more about the guy. I mean, he's just a great person and he was a great hockey player and, and one that you hated to play against because, like, well, you heard him there. When yeah. he scored that goal, he goes by Toronto's bench. And of all people, hey, Tiger, look at it. I got the 50th. Yeah, to just give it a to him. I mean, that's, 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 you just got to love that. Those are the days. And, uh, you know, I think that's, one of the things I wanted to touch on, because, you know, the way the game has gone today, in, in those days, you did have that sort of code of respect and how players sort of treated each other is, you know, I almost liken it to the fact when players went from wearing no helmet to wearing helmets, to the kids having no face masks to wearing face masks, where all of a sudden then the sticks came up, the shots from behind got bigger, and all of a sudden, all these injuries started developing, where it just sort of took that respect part away from the game. Yeah, I think you're right to a degree, and you know, but the the, the evolution had already started, and then yeah, of I think course. I think the biggest jump in that way was after the lockout in 2004 or five, whatever it was. Then all of a sudden, new all those new rules came in, and the game completely changed. And then you got to remember that a lot of the players playing in the NHL today they really only started playing with those rules, a lot of them, you know, like, or they had already played five years or four yeah. years. And then all of a sudden those rules came in. So they're used to it. And, uh, and that's what you see in the national hockey league today. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's, Not it, at all. It, it's still a great product. It's still a great game. Uh, it's just, it's just a lot different than what we remember as players when we play. Yeah, I mean, that's right. I mean, that's a good way. I mean, we can't go back in time, but it's just, no. you know, if you could have that little bit of, just that little bit of accountability sort of creeped under our game today, you know, it just would take it just to that next level once again. Because, you know, I heard a funny story about Tiger one time because guys wouldn't want to go near him because the problem with Tiger was, you know, as Danny would point it out or anybody who's coming to you, any of the guys who've talked about this about, you knew who you would have to be fighting whatever team you were playing, you would probably have to be challenged by this guy at some point. Well, they all accepted that except Tiger, because if you fought Tiger once, he'd fight you every time he saw you on the ice. Oh, yeah. One and done with him. And, it, and they'd say, we don't need this. I have to be on the ice to score some goals to get a contract. I can't be in the penalty box and I fight you four times. So they'd leave alone. And it, were, it had the opposite effect. Well, that was one of the greatest moments in my career was when Mike Nikolak said the exact words to me. He said, we can't have you fighting and going in a penalty box anymore. We need you on the ice to score goals. And I yeah. said, oh, well, thank you very much, Mike. <laughs> you get that role to somebody else. Thank you. I'll pass that one along. Absolutely. Anyway, I, was more, I was more than happy to give, give up the fighting and scoring goals. Give that to them. Exactly right. And uh, so anyway, I think, uh, well, that's, that's our show for today, folks. We've uh, we had a great time with Danny Gare. Uh, you know, obviously, you heard he's just a he's a class act. He terrific uh, terrific career. Uh, just what a wholehearted guy. One of those guys who just comes along. Not a big guy, and it's just one of those guys you just tip your hat to. So we want to thank um, the Hockey News. Uh, Nineteen forty seven. They've been around since. Uh, providing you with all the news, anything concerning hockey, anywhere around the world. Uh, to get your subscription to the Hockey News, go to THN.com slash deal for the best value. Uh, Squid, thanks for joining me as usual. You can follow us on Squid and the Ultimate Least Fan on Twitter. Rick Vibe, you can follow on Instagram or on 
uh, Twitter under the Rig 5 handle, the Ultimate Leaf Fan. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. We want to thank everybody for joining us. Looking forward to talking to you guys next week. Everybody have a great week.